Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We are glad you're here for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Your stool is ready for you. Come join us. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis. We're brought to you today by Stamps.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini. And Jim, we'll get to the good martini in just a second, but I'm sure folks are really going to be shocked to find out that, remember that couple in Arizona a few weeks back? where the the husband died and the wife was in the hospital. And she said, it's all because president Trump told them to take chloroquine. And so she uh, drank the uh, fish tank cleaner and gave it to her husband and he actually died and she got sick. turns out there's a homicide investigation now in Arizona. And I'm pretty sure president Trump's not the subject of that homicide investigation. turns out that this woman was uh, the subject of a domestic battery charge against her husband. And he was also a very intelligent engineer. And one of his friends tells the free beacon Uh, He designed systems for John Deere, and I really can't see the scenario where he would say, yes, please, I would love to drink some of that koi fish tank cleaner. So there's more to this story, it turns out, Jim. I'm sure you're shocked. Yeah, I mean, not only should uh, Alana Goodman of the Washington Free Beacon uh, get some sort of uh, award for some really exceptional shoe leather reporting she's done on this, um, she probably also deserves credit for prosecution. If one comes to pass, the detective uh, handling the case not only confirmed the investigation, the police requested a recording of the Free Beacon's interviews with, uh, with the wife there, Wanda. So great job, Alana Goodman. Great job, Free Beacon. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for the Law & Order episode about this, Greg. Yeah, it really does seem like that's uh, possibly where this is headed. Because uh, if you want a big distraction and get everybody on your side, especially in the media... President Trump told us to do it. And then, oh, it turns out you just murdered your husband. Possibly. Allegedly. Maybe. We'll see where it goes from here. All right. On to the good martini, Jim. And it's not often we begin our good martini with, hey, did you know the economy shrunk by nearly 5% in the first quarter? But uh, that's where we are. But nonetheless, stocks are up today. 500 points uh, for the Dow at this hour, which is just past noon here, East Coast time on Wednesday. And the reason for that is because there is promising news on a treatment for coronavirus and some other positive news that you have outlined recently as well. The Dow Jones up uh, 500 points or more than 2% because of news from Gilead Sciences that guess what? A study of remdesivir, yes, that name is back, conducted by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is run by Anthony Fauci, met its primary endpoint, the drug maker said, lifting expectations for a potential coronavirus treatment. Now, Fauci says that uh, Gilead reports the antiviral reduced duration of COVID-19 from 15 days to 11. Quote, a drug can block this virus, he said about the results of the drug trial. He says the mortality rate also fell from 11% to 8% and calls the improvement very important. Now, Jim, I'm sure there's quite a few listeners saying, wait a minute, didn't you guys just last week talk about how there was a study where more people were dying if they took remdesivir and they had to scrap it because of all the side effects and this was thought to be a failure? Jim, I think the lesson here is is don't trust the Chinese for just about anything. If they're not lying, they're incompetent. Doesn't mean that everything's going to work out with remdesivir here, but uh, this is a much better (laughs) first report from our guys than the Chinese guys. And as you point out, we've got good news on other fronts. It looks like a lot of those reinfections in South Korea were just lingering effects of the original infection. And it also 
experts think that they're making progress on the vaccine and that any treatment that is effective against one strain ought to be effective against probably all eight strains of this. So if you're looking for good news, we've got some today. Yeah, uh, look, this is a turning point on several fronts, Greg. Not just because I, allegedly a gloomy Gus, the Eeyore of uh, coronavirus coverage is feeling much more optimistic because of all of these uh, significant developments in the last uh, 24, 48, 72 hours. Um, I, I would point out that one of the advantages of being the Eeyore-like pessimist is that when I tell you, hey folks, this is a big deal, you know that this isn't just me trying to cheer you up. This is genuine, real uh, news and it's been verified. Um, the other really major turning point, Greg, is that now I've resolved to learn how to pronounce remdesivir. Hey, good uh, job. And it, it's working now. Um, yeah. So first of all, <laughs> when a company, this came out, the news about remdesivir had come out this morning from Gilead. And when you hear a, a drug company say, hey, our drug works wonders, it's understandable. If you're a little bit skeptical, you're like, eh, let me, you know, Fauci's, you know, giving it the good housekeeping seal of approval is a... Uh, is a very good indicator that this isn't just hype. The other points that are worth noting in the last couple of hours, Oxford University says that they're cautiously optimistic about their vaccine development, possibly early for emergency use as early as this autumn. Uh, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals came out today and said, oh, actually, we've got some good stuff with our human trials. We're ready to, to move ahead with that. Um, as I laid out in the morning jolt, the testing production, distribution, processing, they're all increasing. Not where we'd like them to be. I, I think the pre early, on Monday, President Trump said we're going to be at 5 million tests uh, a day. And I think that's we are still considerable way around, but we're now in the neighborhood of producing, at least amongst the big three producers, about 800,000 a day. And they think probably by the end of next month, it could be at 1.6 million. You know, that, that's considerable. Um, still not where we not needed to be, but look, the medical industry can't change its production lines on a dime. This is, this is them moving about as fast as they possibly can. Uh, and then finally, just that last point about the strains. This was what really was, was freaking me out and keeping me up at night, uh, more metaphorically than literally. But uh, the, the recognition that viruses mutate. Most of the time, these, these mutations are fairly mild. Uh, one of my favorite quotes in a New York Times story about this was to say, look, in real life, mutations very rarely amount to much. In the movies, you get the X-Men. But, you know, the idea is that so generally this isn't going to be a big deal. But eventually, one of the reasons you have to get a flu vaccine each year is that over the course of the year, the types of flu, uh, flu viruses, they change. And the flu vaccine you got last year may not work as well uh, this year. In fact, and in fact, most years, there's obviously a whole bunch of flu strains going around. They only give you the flu vaccine against the most, the one they think is going to be most common. Sometimes their assessments are more accurate than others. And the fear would be that this eventually, this, uh, that SARS-CoV-2, uh, that's the name of, official name of the virus, COVID-19 is technically the name of the disease, um, that eventually this virus would just mutate too much. That we, you know, depending on who you listen to, there's anywhere from eight major strains. Chinese uh, researchers say they've hit 33. But Greg, we've had good reason to be a little wary <laughs> about what we're hearing from Chinese researchers. But you know, chances are that as this virus continues to go through people, it's going to mutate more. And the fear would be, and we've already determined some strains are more uh, virulent and likely to kill you than others. That's why they think one reason they think the death toll is much higher on East Coast than it is on the West Coast. Um, one of the reasons Europe got hit so hard compared to other parts of the, of the world. So my fear had been that at some point we would have some breakthrough and then we would have the letdown of, oh, okay, it works against the G strain in the East Coast, but not the D strain in the West Coast or, or vice versa. Right now, according to all the experts, all the virologists so far, they are not seeing a rate of change amongst these vi uh, amongst the, the SARS-CoV-2 to say, uh-oh, you know, when, when we get some treatment, it's not going to work. So if 
remdesivir works against one strain, the odds are good it's going to work against all of them. Now, this isn't a magic bullet. It's not a magic wand. We're still got to fight our way through this, but we now have a much more useful tool in our tool belt, so to speak, to take on this virus. Never trust a commie. That's my takeaway from this, whether they work for the Chinese government or the World Health Organization. But uh, right now, I believe that China is a country in the world, Jim, and that's about it that I believe in <laughs> China right now. So they say. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about something happier. And that is that you can get great deals on your postage. You probably don't want to stand in line at the post office uh, right now. You want to avoid any crowds that you can. And the good news is you don't have to do that to get postage. In fact, you can save money by not doing that by going with stamps.com. So if you need to send out letters or you need to send out packages, stamps.com is here to help. How, you may ask? Well, anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. Print postage on demand and skip the lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save money with discounts you can't even get if you do stand in line at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else that you're hunkering down right now. So whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. So basically, anything you want to do that involves the Postal Service, this can do it for you. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in the mailbox. No human contact required. It really is that simple. You know, folks, probably about two weeks ago, the missus and I had to renew the passport for our younger son. If you want to do it, you have to uh, uh, do it in person at the post office. You need to sign it in front of a post office employee. Uh, it's not the sort of thing where you can, you know, just do it in one place. So we, we went to the local post office. We've hoped everyone, and by the way, everyone at the post office is doing their best. God bless them. These are challenging times. But necessarily a post office or places where you're just going to have a decent number of people associating. And Greg, some people are very good at following that six-foot social distancing rule. Some people not so much. So if I have the chance to avoid going to the post office in the future, I want to take it. Probably next to figs.com, stamps.com is one of the most appropriate sponsors we could possibly have on this program right now. With stamps.com, you get great discounts, five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off U.S. Postal Service shipping rates. Now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounted rates up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Our listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in three martini. All one word, three martini. That's Stamps.com. Enter three martini. Stay safe, my friends. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And this story takes on a number of different layers. So let me start by reading from The Hill. Scores of people turned out for the funeral of a rabbi in New York City on Tuesday, prompting the police to break up the gatherings, officials confirmed to The Hill. The New York Police Department confirmed that police were dispersing the crowd gathered in the Williamsburg neighborhood of Brooklyn 
to honor a rabbi who reportedly died from the coronavirus. A spokeswoman for Mayor Bill de Blasio said the mayor himself was on the scene with police commissioner Dermot Shea, breaking up the crowd of mourners. And then de Blasio takes to Twitter. He says, my message to the Jewish community and all communities is this simple. The time for warnings has passed. I have instructed the NYPD to proceed immediately to summons or even arrest those who gather in large groups. This is about stopping this disease and saving lives, period. And so, Jim, the outrage was pretty quick. It was quite vociferous, as it should be. And so then de Blasio released a video, which essentially amounted to some of my best friends are Jewish, and uh, we still need to not have these gatherings. But he's getting pilloried, and rightly so. So I guess that's a silver lining that the reaction has been the way it should be. But de Blasio's uh, approach to this has been deplorable. You know, I think one of the best indicators of just how egregious de Blasio's statements and actions have been, Greg, comes from my colleague, Catherine Jean Lopez of National Review, who has you know, a corner post on this entitled, How Dare You, Mayor de Blasio? De Blasio managed to piss off Kalo. This is like kind of like getting cursed out by Mother Teresa, okay? Catherine Lopez is the most patient, understanding, non-pounding the table, non-rage-aholic, um, even-tempered, not even even-tempered, just generous, big-hearted people I know. When she's livid about something, that's when you know this is a really big deal and that this is beyond that. I just this, The irony is this comes upon the heels of de Blasio managing to make just about, maybe not every last decision regarding the, the, the virus outbreak in the city wrong, but a whole bunch of them. I put together a lengthy timeline. He was among the people who was, he, for a long time, he kept insisting, it was not quite Chinese government level, but he basically insisted that you had to be almost face to face and have somebody sneeze on you in order to transfer the virus. We're now pretty sure, no, actually, it's, that's one of the reasons we talked about that six foot distance. Uh, he insisted the subways were not a likely format of transmitting. Well, hang on, you're spending a lot of time in an enclosed space. People are using, sitting in seats. People are holding the, the poles and the, uh, the other railings and things like that. There's just a lot of opportunities for two people's bare hands to run into each other. Um, it's not that Bill de Blasio is the entire reason New York City has hit the hardest. There's a bunch of other factors, density, aged population, big international travel hub and all that stuff. But pretty much de Blasio has made everything a little bit worse up until it was too late. Uh, four days before they had to shut down the schools, he was telling people to go about and live their lives. The degree to which de Blasio just has terrible instincts, a terrible tone, an inability to um, keep perspective, and he just manages to hit the wrong note almost every single time. I baffled how much this guy ever got elected. I'm, you know, his presidential campaign went about as well as I expected. I, 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 you know, the last thing I want to do is kick New York when it's down. Love the city, grew up not too far from it. You know, Jets fan, Yankee fan. Uh, to the extent I follow basketball, I'd like to see that. Just for all the sake of my longtime f uh, friends who were Knicks fans, I'd like to see them succeed. New York deserves better than Bill de Blasio. And I just would like to put, maybe it's a notice for, for all of New Yorkers. The rest of the country looked at Bill de Blasio and saw who he was and what he had to offer and just ran as far as they could and wanted nothing to do with him. Dear New Yorkers, try to learn that lesson. Try to keep yourself away from leaders like Bill de Blasio because they have an amazing capacity to take a bad and difficult situation and manage to make it much, much worse.
I don't want to make this something that it isn't, Jim, but what do you make about the fact that uh, this is not the first incident where uh, de Blasio's comments and actions have been poorly received by the Jewish community? We have obviously had a number of attacks in New York City uh, over the, the years that he's been mayor, and the response from his office has been underwhelming to a lot of folks who are very concerned about that. Uh, at the same time, of course, you had... Uh, Nancy Pelosi cheerleading in Chinatown. Granted, that was uh, two months ago now, but uh, the concern was still out there. And now Bill de Blasio feels perfectly comfortable hammering in reaction to this incident. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, Bill de Blasio is uh, arguably a red, right? Meaning a guy who is not a little bit to the left, that he is much more uh, of the Bernie Sanders style. Uh, You know, compared to, he makes, you know, Mike Bloomberg look like a uh, right-wing maniac. Maybe it's exaggerating slightly, but you know, makes Mike. I mean, he still looks like a maniac by any standard. But uh, but the idea is that he's much further to the left of this. And and the other thing is that New York City has had, um, had a, you know, because of Rudy Giuliani and then Bloomberg, they had a long stretch of either Republican or independent mayors for a long time. Uh, and then you can even look back. Dinkins was pretty terrible, but Ed Koch, by several standards, not a ton, but a couple standards, was comparably. Uh, centrist for the New York New York Democrats of that time. I'm not saying that you know uh, Ed Koch was not a progressive by most standards of the rest of the country. I'm not saying that he was a, a conservative by any stretch of the imagination. But Ed Koch was, by standards of New York politics, fairly centrist. De Blasio is not. De Blasio is not anything centrist about him. So I think he brings with him all of the worst traits of the hard left, including the you know periodic air times when they. Uh, dip into the waters of anti-Semitism and, and just this radicalism and, and just, you know, it, it, it manifests itself both in his tone deafness um, and, and, you know, and even sometimes crazy ideas like his, you know, hey, as soon as this is over, let's have a, a, a Canyon of Heroes parade, um, which if it really is over, terrific. But until then, no, you probably don't want lots and lots of people gathering in one space to, you know, sh- to shout and exhale as much as possible at the city's doctors and nurses. What could go wrong? (laughs) Turns out our takeaway from the first martini and the second martini are the same. Don't trust commies. That's that's your common thread. That's a good, that's a good posture. Whether it's China or Chinatown, New York. All right, Jim, we started with good news from uh, Anthony Fauci. Let's tee up our crazy martini now with uh, a little more ominous take from Anthony Fauci. Uh, This is uh, also from The Hill. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease expert, reportedly said Wednesday that a second wave of coronavirus is inevitable later this year. And then he told CNN, if by that time we have put into place all of the countermeasures that you need to address this, we should do reasonably well. If we don't do that successfully, we could be in for a bad fall and a bad winter. So what's happening this fall? I'm thinking particularly of a Tuesday in early November. Yes, it is election day. We just talked about yesterday about how New York canceled the primary. Uh, General elections, you don't really have that kind of flexibility, but that doesn't mean that a lot of people don't want to postpone the election if, in fact, this is still a major concern. Zogby poll, nearly 60% of likely voters, at least somewhat agreed, 30% strongly, 29% somewhat agreed, the 2020 presidential election should be suspended if the coronavirus pandemic gets worse between now and November, while 41%, at least somewhat, disagreed. A majority of almost every subgroup surveyed at least somewhat agreed with this notion, including Democrats, 53%, 
deeper into the poll, we've got some subgroups where you've got uh, 67% of urban voters, 66% of Catholic voters, 60% of voters with college degrees, 68% of Hispanics, 69% of Republicans, 64% of voters in the South. Jim, obviously, it's almost impossible to cancel an election, so provisions would have to be made. But the turnout, if uh, there is still in-person voting, could make this very, very interesting. And it's fascinating that as the Democrats, including Joe Biden himself, try to float this, Trump may try to postpone or cancel the election, a majority of Democrats at least slightly agree with the idea. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, Greg. The first is changing the date of a U.S. national election. It's always the first Tuesday in November uh, requires an act of Congress. So everyone's like, oh, Trump's going to cancel the election. No, no, he's not. Oh, by the way, everyone who says that has that high pitched voice. He's going to do this, you know, like Kermit the Frog. So, you know, you know, even if they did, you know, the, the term of the president ends January 20th. That doesn't get changed. It's set by the Constitution. Uh, and nobody's going to, you know, pass a constitutional amendment to extend Trump's term or anything like that. Um, separately, the question, look, you know, Anthony Fauci knows a heck of a lot more about viruses than I do. That having been said, between him and Robert Redfield, not Robert Redford, <laughs> they're saying, well, you know, the, in the fall and winter, it could be worse. It, it could be. It certainly is not outside the realm of, of possibility. But you would like to think at, at absolute minimum, we would be better prepared for this. That in addition to everything we discussed earlier in this podcast about developments and treatments, uh, the early hints that maybe there's some good signs on vaccine production that we were, you know, not necessarily expecting. Um, you know, it, hopefully over the course of the summer, Greg, we don't forget how to wash our hands. Uh, we don't forget, you know, hopefully we, we may mitigate the social distancing a little, but I think the otherwise we're generally not going to be getting together in big crowds for a long period of time. Um, you know, you look at a bunch of measuring sticks, we should be in pretty good shape uh, this is me knocking on wood. Okay, come fall. It shouldn't be so much worse that we'd be terrified of getting together uh, at polling places. Oh, by the way, um, Wisconsin went forward with its election earlier, you know, about you know, a couple of weeks ago. And you know, a lot of people thought that was not necessarily a wise decision. As of last night, I checked, they, could, they count, found 54 cases that they're pretty sure were because of holding that election. Now, that's not good, but that's not a massive outbreak. Uh, it sounds like most people who were standing online in Wisconsin kept their social distancing or wore the masks or, or did other things and did not get infected, um, which is a good sign. We should be, there's really no reason we should not be able to hold an election come November, both because of, you know, the state of the virus and just generally we've got some time to prepare. Also, you're probably going to see more states exploring the possibility of voting by mail. And if you do, remember stamps.com. Actually, no, you probably wouldn't need the postage for it. They probably let you mail it for free. But nonetheless, you know. So you add all that together. We sh really shouldn't be having this. I do wonder if this poll, and it's a Zogby poll, and some of us going back to 2004 have had some wariness about Zogby polls. I wonder if what's going on in here is a question of, should we do X to be careful around coronavirus? That most people will just instinctively say yes, because the last thing they want to do is look like they're being reckless or not taking the threat seriously or, or anything like that. The wording in here, by the way, Grace, that the presidential election should be suspended. It doesn't even say delayed. <laughs> suspended. What? It, you know, this is this is kind of a, a, a nutty question to ask. Um, I do kind of wonder if this is just kind of a, a the couple people are kind of as they hear the question, what they're thinking through is, would they be nervous about voting on, in the presidential election today? Would they be nervous about going to a polling place, standing online? Maybe people are standing six feet apart. Maybe they're not. People aren't always as diligent about that as they should. Would they be worried about that pen or whatever marker or whatever thing you're using to, to mark the ballot? There's reasons to be concerned there. It's not going to happen. I do find this, this poll result really odd. It is a perfect choice for our crazy martini. 
because really a presidential, whether you love this president, whether you hate this president, you shouldn't just be like, no, we shouldn't have the election. <laughs> that, that seems like a really important thing to do in this country. In fact, maybe the whole point of this country, as opposed to just saying, no, let's just, let's just, just keep the status quo. Let's, let, we don't even need the election. Don't worry. We'll just assume you're doing fine. I don't want to encourage people not to vote, but uh, a silver lining here and another good reason to keep the Electoral College. There's about 35 states that probably won't be competitive. So if you really don't want to vote, <laughs> you probably won't have a problem. Those other states, uh, you might want to figure out a good way to do it. But uh, you should still vote if you're informed. If you're informed. Yeah. If you, if you have no idea what you're talking about, don't vote. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of stuff on Netflix. Take you. Know. But the bottom line here, Jim, is you know you can try to delay, but uh, the inevitability of a Justin Amash presidency is only uh, it's going to happen, right? You know, Greg, I'm not a huge theater goer, but <laughs> when I do, you know, occasionally you hear there's some big star in the cast, and you're looking forward to it, and you get there, and in your little program, there's a little note, a little card in there that says today the role of so and so, usually played by Robert De Niro, will be played by Iggy Schmidlap, the uh, brother of Irving Schmidlap. And you're kind of frustrated because you weren't looking forward to the understudy. You wanted to see the big star. Well, this year, I just got a card handed to me. In the 2020 presidential election, the role of Evan McMullen will be played by Congressman Justin Amash. So uh, I don't know whether you consider that an upgrade of the understudy or whether you're like, eh, you know, a lot of people are looking at that and say, wait, who are those guys? I would prefer Amash to Evan McMullen. I, I will yeah, definitely like, say that. Not a high bar to clear, but yes, you know. <laughs> Definitely. And he's one of the few left who actually care about our tax dollars. But uh, there's there's a longer discussion to have about Justin DeBosch lately. And to say the least, this shouldn't surprise anyone who's been paying attention to him over the past couple of years. You know, I'm just kind of contemplating Amash versus Gary Johnson. Amash, right? He's oh, absolutely. Not he's not going to talk silly to Katie Turr on MSNBC. He's not going to literally hold his tongue with his fingers uh, yeah. during an interview. Now, he hasn't been a two-term governor, but, uh, you know, on, on fiscal issues and some uh, privacy rights, uh, you got to love what Justin Amash is doing. Some I mean, other areas, maybe not. At every event, he's probably going to stay fully clothed. And that, that seems really appealing right now. <laughs> the bar in our politics is really about as low as it could possibly get. But I should, I should be careful when I say that because I guess it could always go lower. But uh, amazing stuff. Jim, <laughs> see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for also visiting our sponsor. I thank you in advance for going to stamps.com. Uh, get that four-week trial plus free postage and the digital scale with no long-term commitment. Uh, just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Your keyword is three martini. Uh, also, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a kind review, please. And also, don't forget, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play three martini lunch podcast. Have a great Wednesday, and we'll see you on the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch.